the reporter and the athlete. Two views that, through the history of sports broadcasting, can be diametrically opposed at times. Sports broadcasters offer up the questions, and the athletes provide the answers. Yet sometimes, it's not that simple. Personalities come into play. History between the subjects, well, that can play a role as well. So what happens when a retired athlete becomes the one asking the questions? Today we get that unique perspective from someone who knows, and it's coming up next on Sports Booth. Hi everyone and welcome to this edition of Sports Booth. I'm your host, Matt McConnell. Today we go outside the box a bit and hear from former National Hockey League veteran Ray Ferraro. We get his thoughts on transitioning from his days as a hockey player to his current role as an analyst for TSN's NHL coverage up in Canada. How he went from answering questions to asking them in his role of covering the NHL. You know, I've always found the relationship between reporter or interviewer and the athlete a fascinating one. Some athletes welcome the attention and enjoy the daily interaction with broadcasters, while others simply loathe it. Some will do it just because they're told to do so, but just don't feel comfortable opening up about it. For the most part, hockey players are extremely accommodating. They welcome the interaction, and they understand its importance to the team and to their brand. For me, Hall of Famer Temu Solani was one of the all-time greats when it came to interviews and interaction. The Mighty Ducks had acquired him back in 1996 in a blockbuster deal with the Winnipeg Jets. The team was on an Eastern road trip at the time. When Temu joined the team on Long Island, reporters were three deep around his stall looking to talk to him after his first practice. And in true Temu Solani fashion, he accommodated all of them. So when the team got back to Anaheim after that trip, the same thing happened all over again this time with the local media that covered the team in Orange County. Tamu held court. He talked to all of them for a solid 10-15 minutes, answering everything that was presented to him. Back at that time, I was calling the team's games on radio, so I decided to hang back, wait for everyone to clear, and then ask him for a one-on-one -on -one interview that we'd run in the intermission that night. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get my wish or not. As everyone pulled away and left the scrum, Temu saw me standing about eight feet away. He looked at me with a big smile on his face and said, Mott, what's up? So I looked at him and I said, any chance you got time for one more interview? Of course, he said. What would you like to talk about? Then he tapped the seat on the locker room stall next to him as if to say, come on over, let's talk. And guess what? We talked for five minutes and from that point forward, Temu never turned down a chance to chat with me. To this day, he remains one of the most accommodating athletes I have ever covered. I also remember the time in Atlanta when I was talking to Hall of Famer Marion Hosa inside the Thrasher's locker room. I asked him a fairly basic question, and I had a pretty good idea of how he would answer. And he kind of looked at me as if I was an idiot, but to his credit, he answered the question. Afterwards, I explained to him that it was important to have him comment on the subject since he was the athlete with all the credibility. I tried to explain to him that his word carried a lot more than mine and that fans wanted to hear his answer, not mine. 
And for that, he understood, and our future interactions went off without a hitch. But you know what? Not all relationships between reporters, broadcasters, and athletes are warm and fuzzy. Sure, most are polite and pleasant, but some can be downright confrontational. Just look at the sport of baseball down through the years. Bobby Bonilla and the media never seemed to see eye to eye. And the same could be said about Jim Rome and his relationship with former NFL quarterback Jim Everett. Barry Bonds and the Pittsburgh media, yeah, they had their moments as well. And it goes on and on. And it's not just the athletes in the media. What about the coaches and the managers? For example, in hockey, John Tortorella, a head coach of several different teams, has had a love-hate relationship at times with reporters. His feuds with New York Post writer Larry Brooks are legendary. And in baseball, it seems as if managers can go off like Roman candles to the press if their team hits the skids in the standings. Okay, so why does this happen? Why do certain relationships between broadcasters and athletes click and others flame out? Is it a lack of trust? Is it a failure by the reporter to abide by the -the off-the-record rules when presented to athletes in certain situations? Is it perceived fairness? Well, here to give us his thoughts today is former National Hockey League veteran turned hockey analyst Ray Ferraro. Ray played 18 seasons in the NHL. He produced 898 points and accumulated just under 1,300 penalty minutes. Over his career, he laced up the skates for six different teams, and that's significant from the standpoint of dealing with a half dozen different media groups. And among those teams, he played in big markets like New York and Los Angeles. Ray certainly had his fair share of media requests during his playing days, and I'm sure there are those he preferred over others that were covering his teams. But today, Ray is retired, and he's working on the media side. He's also someone who can give us both the players and the media perspective when it comes to interaction and coverage. Ray, when I look at the relationship between, say, an athlete and a broadcaster or a member of the media, uh, two words come to mind. One is fairness, and I think the other is respect. Don't both of those play a big part in the relationship when you're an athlete dealing with the media? Oh, for sure they do. Now, as... Um, you know, as a player, um, you, you're really hypersensitive to everything that's written and said about you. Um, most players say, oh, I don't pay attention. I don't read, uh, you know, I don't read Twitter. I don't, I don't follow in the paper. I don't listen right. to the radio, but that's all kind of garbage because we're all, every one of us wants to know what people think mm-hmm. about us. And it's our life and our life, our production, our, uh, our career is out in the open for everybody to comment on it. So if you feel as a player that you're not getting a fair shake from somebody, you're more liable than not to, to not give them time to, to do an interview, to ask you a question. The difference is if you feel you're not getting a, um, a complimentary column written about you or talked about and you know that the, um, the media member is fair, that they're, and you, you have a kind of a spidey sense of the way that they present a, a story. Right. If you feel it's fair, some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. You realize someone's going to write about you on your bad day too. And it really doesn't, it, it's not, it doesn't become 
the, the person doesn't become a factor. You just look and say that person is fair and yeah. they're doing their job. Now, some guys, Matt, are, um, they don't like dealing with the media. They don't like to talk. Um, they don't want to explain themselves. And, you know, when you were in Atlanta, you know, we got to know each other, you know, geez, man, 18, 17, 18, 19 years ago. Um, I I liked the interaction. I, you know, I liked, I liked getting to know guys. I love, I love talking about sports, not just hockey. And so this stuff was never a problem for me, but for some guys, it's, it's really an issue. Um, They don't want to open up. And I, I think what I've learned as I've gotten older and now that I've been in the broadcast business for 20 years is that we're looking for 25 year old guys or girls, whomever you're broadcasting to or, you know, uh, covering. And we want these evaluations of themselves, of their performances in today's world. We want it, um, you know, what they think of, of some of the larger societal events going on around us. And yet they're 25 years old. Yeah. Like it, it's really a, it's almost an unfair position in a lot of ways. And so I can understand why the athletes lock themselves down a little bit. And, and that's where you get into the, yeah, you know, I did my best for the team and, you know, it was, we got the bounces and, you know, all those other cliches that, that somebody might deliver. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, Ray. Today's athlete versus your era. What is the biggest difference between your era, the athletes then, and the new kids when dealing with the media? And obviously social media, the heightened awareness Mm. of careers and things like that play into a a consideration here. But what's the biggest difference in your mind? Well, without question, there's, there's a couple and they're intertwined. And, you know, you mentioned social media. I mean, social media is the biggest difference. Um, when, um, when you would come to me and interview me, I knew that I was talking to you and my interview was going to go through you on the station or the outlet that you worked for. That's not the case anymore. Right. And so a player will do an interview and it will end up on a aggregator website that gets part of it played somewhere else that he doesn't have any connection to. And so I think the loss of familiarity really breeds uncertainty to the, to the athlete. They just, they just don't know where it's going to go or where it's going to end up. They might try to say something in a way that uh, was supposed to be funny or insightful and it, by the time it's diluted through three different networks or three different outlets, rather, it's not the same thing. And so players are very wary uh, in almost any sport with anyone that I've spoken to, um, very wary about who they talk to and how it might be presented to the public. When we played, it was, you know, I mean, I retired in 2002. It was, we had more anonymity. Um, you know, outside of the, the rink. I mean, I right. you could go kind of wherever you wanted to go. Now somebody goes out for dinner with their families. Someone happens to take a picture. They report on it. Like there's, there's a lack of privacy that, that makes a lot of players turn inward, inward uh, very protective of, of their shell. And so that's a, that's a major, major difference in the way that media and players would interact today as opposed to 20 years ago. 
You know, Ray, I'm always interested to hear what you have to say about the sport. And not too long ago, I heard you on another podcast and you were talking about the times when you would go into a slump as a player. Is the treatment to athletes during those times different uh, by the media or is that just perceived to be different? And I guess maybe it's the perception in the eyes of the athlete, right? If if you're going good, you're you're playing well, everything's great. You you go on a 10 game drought and then maybe you think it's a little different. Is that? Yes, because, but there's also um, (laughs) most of us, I would think when things are rolling along in life smoothly, you've got a thicker skin. If you, you know, if you, if there's a pothole in front of you, eh, it doesn't bother you so much when you're having a tough week or a tough couple of weeks and things aren't so smooth, uh, you know, in whatever your job is, I mean, we're talking about sports, but this is really about life in general is that you're more sensitive. You're more, um, you're more alert to a perceived slight. And, and I think that's the same for the player. If, if somebody wrote something about me or said something about me and I was going along well and I'd scored eight goals in 15 games, I didn't really care. I mean, like things were going well. Now, if I'm in a 10 game drought, everything would tweak me. Okay. Because you would think, now, why do they have to write that? Why do they have to say, uh, you know, Ferraro went at seventh, you know, that was his seventh game without a goal. Why is that even in the article? Well, it's in the article because it's news and I'm supposed to score. And that's part of, part of the story. But when you're not going well, um, you, you feel that a little heavier. I also think the, there, is, there is this perception that a reporter should be able to turn off their own emotional connection to, to the players and just go in like a robot, ask the question, turn around and leave. Yet, in a lot of cases, when you're around a team, when a set of reporters or broadcasters cover a particular team, it's inevitable that you, you like some guys, you develop a little bit of a, hey, how you doing relationship with them. Right. And you feel for them when, when things aren't going very well. And it's hard. Like, it's hard to go ask a question. Like, I don't, I don't take any satisfaction I don't know if satisfaction is the word. Not. I, don't, I don't have any, um, it doesn't give me any zip to go ask a guy that hasn't scored in 15 games or a goalie that's played five bad starts in a row to go up to them and say, hey, what's the problem? Like, how, you know, what are you trying to do? Like, I don't, I, I kind of want to leave the guy alone. I mean, he's got enough things on his mind, but it's, it's part of my job and you have to find a different way to approach what's a, you know, I guess they call it the elephant in the room, right? It's a, right. it's a very obvious thing that you're going to talk to him about. Like if, if I've got a goalie um, that I need to talk to and he's played poorly for a couple of weeks and I go, hey, can I grab a couple minutes of your time? I'm certain he, think, he knows I'm going to ask him about his play. I'm not going to ask him about his golf swing. Right. And so there, there's an understanding between what you have to do and what you are your obligations. Um, it will never be that what the media and the fans think the obligations are will equal to what the players think the obligations are. I think that's a great way to to describe it, really. I, and, and, you know, a, a few minutes ago, we let off and I mentioned the word fairness. Um, so let's talk about when it 
come goes off the rails. And I, I would imagine when a relationship goes off the rails between an athlete and somebody that's doing a lot of interviewing, it's something that is built up over time. But I, I would also think, I would also argue that it gets back to fairness where either one side or the other feels that it hasn't been legit down the middle fair. Is that, is that? Yeah, I've, I've had it both ways. Um, as a player, um, you know, I, I had some various times where I felt like I wasn't being treated fairly. And uh, on one occasion, I went and talked to, to the reporter and um, I actually called him and um, I had, uh, he had written some things about me and um, kind of expanded upon them in a couple of subsequent columns. And uh, I went to our PR director and I, you know, and I, I explained to him, I was playing in Atlanta at the time and I explained to him what was going on. I said, Hey, could I, could I get his phone number? I just, I'd like to talk to him about this. So I called him and I introduced myself and like, look, I'm calling you about these columns you've written. And, you know, once he kind of, you know, I, I don't know, like kind of got his feet back underneath him. <laughs> we, you know, like, cause I'm sure he's like, why the hell is this guy calling me? But he, we had a conversation and he explained what he was writing about. And I explained why uh, it was bugging me. And I don't think we ever really agreed upon it. You know, like there was a great resolution to it. Right. But I understood what he was doing and he understood what I was doing. And I, and neither of us really had a problem. I mean, just because somebody writes something about you doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Right. But if you can look at it from a place where you understand it, I, I think you can accept it. And, and I did with that reporter and I totally understood. And I think he totally understood me as, as well. Um, I was, uh, you know, now I'm a, you know, years later, I'm a broadcaster and, uh, there was a player that I, I didn't particularly like the way he plays. Um, I felt he was, you know, uh, kind of a, he, he would take advantage of players. He was, a you know, a, a mean hitter. Okay. Uh, you know, and so I had in the games I did with him, I would always speak of that. Because it, it seemed inevitable whenever I was doing a game, there would be one of those hits and I didn't even have to look. I knew he was kind of the culprit. And so uh, one day in the hallway uh, after a morning skate, he pulled me aside and he said, uh, um, why are you all over me all of the time? Hmm. And, you know, so if you're, and this goes back to being fair, I, I didn't feel, um, threatens the wrong word, but I didn't feel uncomfortable with his position because I knew I was coming from a place where I felt I was being fair. And so I said, I don't, I don't like the way you play. I think you try, try to hurt people. I think when guys are vulnerable, I, I think you try to hurt them. And he said, well, you're right. When they are vulnerable, I do try to hit them. He said, but I'm not trying to hurt them. I go, well, it doesn't look like that to me. And so we talked for a few minutes. And again, Matt, I don't think there was any great resolution but I came away with a little bit in, of a better understanding that he viewed it like he viewed the game differently than I view the game. You, you know me, Matt, I was a finesse guy. I was a, you know, a, a point producer. I right. wasn't a super physical player. This guy was a physical player. So he viewed the same game completely different than I did. And so his view was when a player was in a vulnerable position, when he'd lost the puck, when he was off balance, his job was to make a physical play. 
Well, me, I would have just tried to get the puck right. and, and try and go attack on offense. So he made me understand his view. I think I made him understand my view. Again, I don't think there was any great resolution, but I felt comfortable in my position because I felt I was fair. Was the relationship better after that, Ray? No. No? Okay. No, um, because, Matt, I didn't have a particular relationship with the player. Now, I don't, uh, unlike you, um, my job at TSN is I do games for various teams. Right. I'm not embedded with one team. So this was a player from a visiting team. And so I would only come across him sporadically. I see. Okay. But I did view his game differently after we told, after we spoke. Like I, I understood better what he was trying to accomplish. I still don't agree with it. I don't think that's how the game was meant to be played, but I understood better. You were talking earlier too, Ray, about how, how the new generation of players, they kind of, you know, they go through media training with these teams. They kind of have their guard up all the time. They gave you the standard answer of, well, we got to get pucks in deep. We got to have a strong first five minutes. We got to weather the storm. You know, I go back to a story and, and I think a lot of that happens when, whenever somebody comes up and sticks a microphone in their face or they've got a recorder in their face. And I, I want to go back to, to John Davidson, who's now the, you know, running the New York Rangers. When I watched JD work a room back in the day, he would talk to the players. He would, he would not have a microphone. He would not even have a, a pad of paper or anything out in his hand. He would talk to the players and then he would, when he was done, he'd kind of go around the corner and summarize notes which I thought was a way to kind of get a little more out of the player, make them feel a little more comfortable. Um, do, you th do you think that style of just, just having a conversation with a guy kind of brings that guard down a little bit? And, you know, obviously there are guys that are going to trust you more than other guys. What, what do you think of that whole process? Well, JD, JD was the best. Um, right. You know, he was, he was a fantastic broadcaster. Um, he, brought, um, he brought a humility to the job. Um, he brought uh, confidence from the players. So he got information that he could use in the game that other guys weren't getting. Right. So I, you know, I don't, um, I don't write notes either. Um, I take them. And then when I'm finished talking to the player, I type them in my phone. Um, so I have them to, you know, to put into my game sheet later on. So I right. have the proper recollection. A couple of differences though, Matt, uh, when JD was doing the, doing the, the broadcasting gig, he had time with the players. You know, we go into a room, not often do we have a lot of time. No. Yeah. And you you know, and, and in a lot of cases, I, I think the NHL doesn't do, um, you know, and I can only speak of the NHL cause I, I don't cover baseball or, or football or something, but right. I, I, I don't think they do a, a good enough job in this regard. So they'll bring out after a morning skate on game day, uh, four players or five players. And so you've got 30 media guys and it's just a swarm around these four or five guys. Cause that's all there is. Right. If they, if they said, okay, the players are coming off the ice at 1115 at 1130, everybody is out of the room. But for those 15 minutes, everybody will be available. Then people will scatter for the most part, getting the story they want to get. They'll talk to different people. You'll get yep. different perspectives but the league doesn't mandate that they let the teams take too much control. And so you end up with four guys right. all the time. 
And you can't ask in any detail a question. You can't build that relationship that might help you because there just is no time. There's, there's, no, there's no time to do it. So like, I don't know how many times you've had a conversation with the top of a guy's head while he's <laughs> uh, untying his skates. Because you know you can't really wait because if you wait, three other guys are going to come over there and pretty soon he's not going to say anything because he just wants to get out of there. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, that is one of the, one of the biggest uh, um, issues I have with the presentation of the, of the players is that you have such little access that you're funneled in through something really small that makes it difficult to, to get a, a story that might yeah. be one that you can tell during the game. That's really interesting that it, that gives value add to the broadcast. It's, t- it's tougher and tougher uh, to get it. It's, here's another thing about the players in there. You know, the, the amount of um, scrutiny that are, that they're under. And I really sympathize with them. Um, you know, I do a, a lot of radio in Canada and uh, so I'm on, uh, during the week, uh, I'm on 15 radio shows a week. Wow. So um, you have lots of time to talk about lots of things. However, uh, a player might say, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't think those guys played, you know, played as well as they have in the, in the last couple of games against us. They, you know, we were able to expose their defense. And the tone of what he says becomes the discussion the next day on the radio. But what yeah. that discussion will be, man, he really disrespected them. That's not what he said. Right. So the players start saying nothing. Yeah. They start saying it. They like, you can have an opinion, Matt. And maybe I've learned this only as I've gotten older. And I, and I certainly do wish that I would have learned this a little earlier, but you could have an opinion on your, or on my car. And you might not like my car, but I like my car. It doesn't mean that you're an idiot. Are we talking about the one you uh, drove in Atlanta? That one, you know, the one, but do you know my point? Like people can't have a disparate point of view. They can't have an opposite point of view and be okay with it. And so I think the players turn inward a little bit in that they just, they're just making a point. It's their opinion. doesn't mean it's right. It means it's just their opinion. I say something during a game. It's not a hundred percent right in my mind. It is, but you might view the same play differently. That's okay. Yeah. And I think that really is a barrier as well to the toxicity of the way social media can turn on a player, right? Uh, on an athlete, and so they just don't offer as much. Yeah, it's all in the um, you know, it's all in the interpretation in so many ways. A couple more for you, Ray, and we'll let you go on the record versus off the record. And this is always fascinating to me uh, as a as an athlete, as a player in your National Hockey League career, how comfortable were you with the whole on the record, off the record? And I know it depends on the person uh, that you're having the discussion with. And typically, how long would it take you to get to that point where you know you knew that, hey, this guy I can trust? Oh, I don't think there's a... Um... Or is it all on the record deep down? Well, no. I mean, again, it was different when I played Matt. Like, there were there were guys that were around um, a long time in each places that I played. And um, I would have 
you know, after a, a little bit of time, I can't, can't really give you a time frame, but you would understand, yeah, I can trust this guy. Uh, because he wants to talk about something. He's building a story. He wants some background of the story. He's not looking for a quote. You, you can maybe fill in some of the, the spaces. But there's only certain people that you would be comfortable doing that with. There's, there's nothing worse than telling somebody something and the way that the story is written, it's obvious it came from you. And that yeah. happened to me a couple of times and it's embarrassing and you're just trying to help. Um, so of course that puts a little bit of armor on you, right. but for the, for the on the record, off the record stuff, um, I don't, I don't know too many guys that would go off the record in today's world very quickly. Okay. Um, reason being, as, as I gave that example before, I could talk to you off the record in Atlanta and tell you something or tell Billy Jaffe something and know that it was kind of just dead right, right there. We were just talking, but I also knew who I told it to. And if it escaped anywhere, I would have known who let it slip. Today's players, athletes, don't know that anymore because the, you know, the way that media gets distributed, it just goes into the ether. Yeah. And it can come from anywhere. And so I, I think, it, again, it's, look, social media can be great. Um, we've seen it can be not very good. Um, the, the lack of control of where your words go, I think, is, is something that, players are always trying to navigate. For sure. And, and I've told the students, Ray, in earlier episodes of Sports Booth, you know, I have a saying, it, it can take you six years to build up rapport. It can take you six seconds to destroy it. And, and I, I, want to, I want the kids to understand that because we really are in a, we're kind of in a salesmanship type of role. Uh, we are in a trust role. We are in a relationships role between you know, our side, your former side, so on and so forth. What have you learned being on the TV side? And we'll leave you with this. What, what have you learned on the TV side that you never really even gave a second thought to when you were playing, when it comes to interviews, dealing with the press, so on and so forth? Oh, Matt, so much. Um, you know, like this, this is, um, you know, I've completed 18 years now as a, as a TV broadcaster and, um, you know, like I, I started, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Like I just, I was an ex player. They said, Hey, would you like to try this? I said, sure. And all of a sudden it's 18 years later. Wow. Like that's, that's kind of what it feels like. Um, however, I had no idea, um, how hard I was going to prepare or how hard I was going to research and work. Uh, to do my job. I just thought you just showed up at the rink <clears throat> and did the games. I had, I had no <laughs> idea. I'd never really give it a thought. I never really looked at, oh, hey, wait a minute. I'm here busting my rear end to be a player, but oh, these media guys and ladies are doing the same thing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're I, busting I think, their rear end to do the, and I, I never really understood it. I think a lot of people feel that we show up at 10 minutes to seven to call a seven o'clock game. And oh, so, so that would be number one. Number two is that um, when I'm interviewing somebody and I don't do, you know, I don't do interviews on a, a regular basis, but when I'm doing interviews, 
nobody cares what I know. They want to right. hear what the athlete has to say. Yep. So you have to take your ego and park it beside you. And, and I still get caught at times. I'll listen to an interview back and go, man, I, I could have shut up like 12 seconds ago. Hmm. And the question was fine. However, I was rambling, trying to get my point in to show what I knew, but nobody cares. They want to hear what the athlete has to say. Like I, I, that, those are two of the, of the main things. The, I would say in, in regard to, um, you know, the interactions with the players, um, I started and I, I don't know if you got a lot of, in, um, a lot of instruction or a lot of help when you started, Matt, I didn't get any. And yeah, yeah. as it turned out, that's probably really great that I didn't get a lot because I kind of cultivated my own self into, into my broadcasting. Um, and I decided I was going to be as honest as I could. Um, I was going to be as forthright as I could. I was going to remember that we're not uh, solving uh, brain surgery here. We're not doing brain surgery. Like if something funny happens in the game, I talk about it because I think it's sports. It's funny. Right. Lighthearted so, moments. And you do, you guys do it great. It, because I think like if some, like there was a play, I'll give you an example. This, this guy dropped his stick. He was having a terrible game. He dropped his stick three times on the shift. The puck hit the stick that he had dropped. <laughs> and I said, that's the most effective that stick's been in a half an hour. Right. Well, after the game, somebody must've told him he thought it was hilarious, but I think that's like, you've got to have some joy in what you're doing. Like if sure. you're in this business, you're in a great business. You really yeah. are. And it's fun, but it's hard to be, to be relevant all the time because you can never stop working. Right. And if you do, you start to fall behind just a little bit not a lot, but just a little bit. And then pretty soon you're clawing just to keep up. So my advice would be if, if you're in this business or if you're endeavoring to get in this business, love it, love yeah. whatever you're doing. If you think you're a, um, a sports guy and they ask you to do the news, do the news, figure it out, do it with enthusiasm, love it because that will come through in your broadcast. It will, it, you will, it will come out of you without you even knowing it. Event? And I think that's critical. I, I do too. And a mutual friend of ours, Darren Elliott, who's now in Vegas, always liked to say, do what you like or do what you love and love what you do, right? Yeah. Well, just think of how lucky we are. So like there, <clears throat> there has been times where we're all worn down by the travel. The seasons are long. You're like, holy smokes, we've got another game today. I've been around the National Hockey League for 35 years. Like, like Matt, I can't believe it. And I'm like, <laughs> when I was a little boy, I dreamed of playing in the NHL. Like when I was in the first grade, my mom kept a scrapbook for each of, our, of the four brothers in our family. What you, one of the pages was what I want to be when I grow up. And it had like a doctor and a nurse and a lawyer and a, I don't know, whatever else that a uh, musician, whatever else kids wanted to be. And I've got written in my six-year-old handwriting, NHL player. So I got to live my dream. And then somebody said, here, try this. And if you're any good at it, you'll get to keep doing it. And that's been 35 19, years. Yeah, 35. Yeah. yeah. And oh, so sure. what you say about doing what you love, like 
honestly, like it, you know, I, I love what I do. I, I'm looking forward to getting back to it whenever that might be. Um, I'm, you know, I, I love the game. I love sports. And, and I think the key to all of this is that your enthusiasm in the research that you do to present stuff on the air will make the stuff you present on the air better and better. People will see it. If you research with enthusiasm, you know, the stuff that nobody sees, if you do that with enthusiasm, your presentation on the air is going to be tenfold better because people will see that you love doing what you do. And that matters. Great advice, Ray. Thanks. Hey, thanks for doing this. And we got through what, 40 minutes without talking about the thrashers. How did that happen? I'll tell you, Matt, people that don't know the thrashers really, Are really wouldn't understand <laughs> what that was really like. Just think of this. I tell this story quite often. That first year when we won 14 games. Yeah, I remember. Oh, of course you do. You had to make up a whole bunch of stuff. So (laughs) I I tell people all the time, we won 14 games, which wasn't bad. Unfortunately, there was 82 of them. (laughs) It was a long year. And I'm still trying to figure out how Dean Sylvester scored 16 in that inaugural season. If that's your only question of the inaugural season... Oh, it isn't. We could go okay, for two good. more hours. <laughs> good, good. Because I want to know how we went through six goalies. How, yeah. How, where did they all come from? Exactly. Right? Like, there's, I look sometimes mad. Every once in a while, I fall down the YouTube or rabbit hole, and then I get into Hockey DB, and I look at that roster <laughs> from the first year, and I'm like, where did everybody come from? Scott Fankhauser, a cult hero inside Phillips Arena, and he, I think he won four games, right? Yes. <laughs> I remember his first one. I remember his first one. He got called up. He uh, got to the rink in Detroit late, and um, he came in in relief. We were down 4-1, and the linesman asked me when he went in, Kurt Fraser, our coach, put him in. He said, uh, hey, what's your goalie's name? I said, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. He just got here. I said, they're calling him Fank. I'd never seen him before. And he was in net for us. <laughs> it, was like, it was the craziest thing. I loved it. Oh, believe in blue land. Ray, thank you so much. And we'll, we'll see you down the trail, but I'm sure the kids really, really appreciate this. Thanks for Well, th- Matt, it's great to talk to you. And uh, to everybody listening, uh, uh, work hard, love the work. Um, Find a way to be creative, be true to yourself and just put yourself out there um, and don't worry about what somebody else says. Put yourself out there into a position where you can evaluate yourself to get better. Don't let somebody nitpick at you. Just continue to grow yourself. Before you know it, you've put some road behind you and you've become a better broadcaster. Well, simply said, terrific insights by Ray and a better understanding of both points of view especially from the athlete's side of things. When I think of the times I worked with him in Atlanta, the word fair always comes to mind. Sure, there were times he probably didn't want to see all of us huddled around his locker room stall, but he always took the time. He shot straight, and he told us what we needed to hear, not necessarily what we wanted to hear, a skill that's helped him to become one of the best analysts in the game of hockey today. Don't forget, if you have any questions about sports broadcasting, email the show at pxpquestions at gmail.com. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at SportsBoothPod1. 
Thanks again to Ray Ferraro for a unique look at the relationship between reporter, broadcaster, and athlete. And we'll talk again on another edition of Sports Booth.